Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Is there something bigger brewing than the crypto collapse? Is there a bigger, badder black swan out there? And are private REITs in trouble? We're going to talk about that because those are a couple things you really need to pay attention to on the, on the bear side of the argument. And is a recession, a U.S. recession, imminent? Mm. No, thought we were already in one, but maybe not. Oh. Anyway, more importantly, how should you invest for that? And we're going to get into that because it's going to be completely different than what you may assume or think. Okay? And then we're going to get into Goonlock's predictions. Goonlock. Huh? Goonlock. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I just miss Tim because he, he used to always make fun of me. Could Tim uh, uh, Goonlock? Don't worry, Dan. I'm here. I'm here to make yeah. fun of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so Don also <laughs> doesn't like Jeff Goonlock. And look, I've told you guys. I, it's I didn't not... say I don't like him. I just don't like the way you say his name. Oh, Goonlock. How would you say it? It's Gunlock. 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 Goonlock. 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 Deutsch. Anyway, we're going to talk about his because he's a bond. He's the new bond king. He kind of took over from um, who's the old bond king. Um, Bill Gross. Bill Gross kind of went Bill off the Gross. deep end anyway. Uh, uh, but Goonlock, he's actually a very good economist. And he's actually been pretty spot on a lot of predictions in the last three or four years. Okay. So I want to talk about and that. I, I highlighted a quote from him yesterday in the podcast you might might have missed it but i'll bring it back up when we get there you you do that okay and then the senate in all of their um wisdom wisdom that's the word i was thinking thank you zach i was having a senior moment and you stepped right in there that is radio professionalism (laughs) right (laughs) right there anyway the senate in all of their wisdom passed a new bill to curtail disclosures and gap accounting for indexed annuities mm. so we can stuff those so they can get through regulation quicker and they can issue new ones and they can stuff them in your 401ks love it because that's what you need you need an indexed annuity with none of the downside risk but lots of the upside right. none of that downside not not not, not. anyway mm. then we also have um non-retired investors are terrified about the financial future I, would, I found that article is kind of interesting. Okay. Basically, it's just a fear piece. It's just a fear hit piece. Now, well, I would say nice. that it's also retired people are pretty scared, too, because sure. they don't have any income. I mean, they're not, they're not making a salary anymore. I think they're more nervous. But anyway, um, and then the SEC proposes a new, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, best execution rule. They're going to talk, they, they want to try to modify because now that they let everybody start selling their order flow, like Schwab and Fidelity and Merrill Lynch, now they don't have to get best execution and they're making money. So you don't know whether the trade actually costs you $2 or $30 because you got a crappy fill. Mm. I'd rather know that I'm paying $3.95 or $4.95 a trade and know that they had to get me best execution at all the four exchanges. You know, so if they put an order out to the various markets, they got to take the lowest price for you, the client, right? Mm. Yeah. When they sell the order flow, now they've released their, their obligation from best execution. So you may not get the best price. Oh, the Philadelphia Exchange paying us a little more. And the price is worse for the client, but we get paid. I'm going to Philly. I'm not going to the NYSE, mm. the New York Stock Exchange. Just so you know that it's not about you. It's about Wall Street. And then the net zero initiative, which was trying to get all this ESG investing, this environmentally friendly, this net zero, all this kind of stuff. 
is literally collapsing, and we've had a few big players pull out, uh, Vanguard being one of them, and so we're going to have, and it looks like more are following. And we'll talk about that because that, that's actually going to have some ramifications on how you invest. And then Tim and Mike are going to be talking about a sector each, two sectors that are on, on in trouble right now. So normally what we do, we come out, we talk about the, the couple sectors that are really strong, that where you want to be focused and looking. And then we thought, you know what? Actually, they also need to know where to avoid. Investors need to know which areas they're going to avoid. So we're going to talk about um, um, two very weak sectors that you probably ought to, oh, I love that what Wall Street would say is under allocate. What do they call that, Don? Under um, uh, underweight. Underweight. That's their word. Underweight. Underweight. Okay. Well, if they're really weak, I've got a question for Don. Why don't you just avoid altogether and sell the son of a... I mean, why are we holding something that's going down? Mm. I, you know, I mean, if you can avoid it. Obviously, you can't do it every time. Of course. But... but I want to be in the strongest sectors and avoid the weakest, but I want enough investments, enough diversification so that one position doesn't kill me. So anyway, we're going to talk about that and, 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 and a whole lot more. Then we're going to get into the markets. I'm going to talk about Gunlock's uh, recession imminent article and his predictions at the end, right before we go into the markets, because they actually have some very valid um, applications uh, to what we do. Okay. So obviously, unless you've been paying, not been paying attention or on a planet or a island, tropical island without any TV uh, or media, uh, you know who uh, SBF is, Sam Brakeman. What do you Sam, call him? Sam, Sam Fraud Bank. What was his name, Don? Scam Bank Run Fraud. <laughs> or Scam Bank Run Free. Scam. It's not bad. I like that. Scam. Scam Bank Run Fraud. Bankman fraud. I down. like that. I, I like it. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still can't believe they haven't been. Dis- I still can't believe he hadn't been charged with any criminal charges yet. They're not even. They're just. He hadn't even been deposed yet. They're not even like. This guy stole billions. He admitted <sighs> it on social media. Oh well, we didn't have a good good enough controls. His girlfriend was taking money out of clients' accounts and covering her gambling losses on cryptocurrencies. But he said he was sorry. But, oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> You lost my life savings. Right. You lost well, every really bit sorry, that I worked though. for for 35 years. Right. Oh, that's okay. Right. You know. Okay. So, I mean, is that it? That's all? We're not going to do know. anything? All right. Anyway. So, I, I want to get into this real estate thing because this is actually a, a pretty big deal. And we've talked about this uh, the last few, last few months. We've talked about the big canary in the coal mine are these, is real estate that potentially, especially out of Asia and China, right? And that with the rising interest rates, it's going to make it tougher. Now, there's a difference between public REITs and private REITs. So a private REIT, a real estate investment trust, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, um, um, the publicly traded ones, you have immediate price discovery is what they call it, where you got a bid and ask, it's live, you see what it is. But then they have these private REITs, these illiquid REITs where it's a private deal, you put your money in and you can only take redemptions once a quarter or once a year, uh, depending on the specific private REIT. And then there's minimums because they're doing some real estate deals or developing it. And it takes four or five or six years. You know, they need to have consistent cash flow. They need to know what assets they have so they can do these deals, right? And they develop them. Here's what people don't know. Now, it said that these private REITs, let me just read this very quickly. Um, two of the late, uh, nation's largest private real estate income trust REITs, Blackstone and Starwood, mm-hmm. to limit and prorate investors' repurchase request because they exceeded redemption restrictions. In other words, a lot of people are asking for their money out. They're getting scared. Yeah. And they're saying, yeah, I want to take redemptions. And they said, nope, nope, nope. We're going <laughs> to no, no, no. put a yeah. stop to let you take your money out. Right. Okay. And it said uh, uh, the uh, industry experts say that the surge in investor redemptions is directly uh, to the perceived gap of performance between non-traded REITs and public REITs. And this expectation will continue to rise. Now, here's the thing, folks. If you look at long-term, long-term public REITs actually outperform private REITs in a big way. Hmm. So you do, so you're not getting an illiquidity premium. In other words, the theory is that private REITs are less volatile, less suspect to a run, and they're they're quote safer, but they're illiquid. You can't get out of them. Well, mm. to me, that makes them riskier. 
There's and no if you can't get out of them, that's a risk premium, an illiquid risk premium you got to be compensated for. And actually, public REITs actually outperform over the long term. Now, these private REITs, these private REITs only have to get a, um, a what do you call it, uh, appraisal on the real estate once a year. And so these public REITs have the net asset value, the NAV, what it's trading at every day. These public REITs are only going to calculate it once a quarter, actually once a year. Huh. So it's a lag. So they haven't declined in price because they're illiquid. You can't trade them. There's not an active market. So you don't, it's like your house. You don't get an active daily price on your house, do you, Zach? Of course not. You don't know what it is. I wish I did. Uh, until you buy and sell it. And so these REITs, now here is the, here are a couple of the, the gold, the, uh, it says uh, Breit, which is the Blackstone REIT. That's why they call it Breit. It's the Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you, uh, w- allowed investors to take 2% of their assets monthly and 5% quarterly uh, to allow them to have some liquidity. And they're sold through brokers and advisors like Nuveen, Griffin, which is now a subsidiary of uh, Apollo. Now, one reason they're trying to figure out why people are trying to flock toward the exits, in other words, why people are trying to take their money out. And he said, and, and, and this article is trying to defend it. This article is actually trying to defend the private REITs and saying it's because they're applying short-term thinking to long-term investment. You've got to have the long-term view. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, here's, the, here's the big takeaway, though. The, they're not liquid, so you can't get your money out. So how do you know if the return is real? In other words, this article's touting how these private REITs have made more money than public REITs this year. Yeah. Well, they just haven't declined it. They haven't gone down yet. They haven't, they're, they're not, they haven't, because they own, their price gets reset very infrequently, quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. Huh. So all of a sudden you'll get a big leg down. And that's really what these investors are worried. They're worried they're going to see $20, $20, $20, $20. Oh, we got the appraisal. It's 12 Sure. Oh, I've just lost sixty percent. Of course, just yeah. a bit outside. Just okay. a bit outside. Now, um, now, so and and so these these um, these uh, uh, private REITs are seeking to raise cash without recognizing capital losses. What that means in plain English for the investor that doesn't quite understand that gibberish, because that's gibberish. <laughs> it seem like gibberish. Yeah. Is. They're trying to figure out how to raise cash, meaning sell some of the properties or sell some assets off yeah. so they can give you your money back, your redemptions. But they don't want to recognize capital losses because then they got to tell you they lost money. Mm. So some, a lot of their properties have losses now. That's kind of what they're saying, but they're not admitting it. Because, hey, we're at the NAV, the net asset value, at the end of the year, and we haven't got our appraisal yet. So we don't know that we lost money. We just think we have. But we, when we kind of fished around and tried to sell a few properties, they were underwater. So in any event, but it's really, it's acute from Asian investors because a, Chinese especially, they're terrified their real estate is literally collapsing as we speak. And so they are all, and these, these are global REITs with billions and bit, tens of billions of dollars in them. Wow. And these Asian investors are saying, give us our money back. We just want to stick it in the bank. So anyway, that's something to keep an eye on. Because if that accelerates, the real, remember I've been saying for months, I think real estate is the next shoe to drop after the stock market. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong. I certainly could be wrong. So anyway, that's one thing to keep an eye on. And then the next thing that I want to talk about, which is sort of related to these big groups, is this uh, net zero climate group. So, so Vanguard is walking out of the world's largest climate financed alliance. And it's the biggest affection to date after a considerable review, because see all these uh, climate groups are trying to make you force you. You cannot invest in Exxon. You cannot invest in in fossil fuels at all. Well, here's the problem. What are you going to do? Walk everywhere? Electric cars are not ready for prime time, folks. Mm. Electric. We don't have enough raw earth metals to meet the demand. If we went all electric, it's just not doable. Right. And so you got to have some natural gas. You got to have some. Anyway, anyway, so they're getting pushed back on both sides. They're realizing they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. It's like stepping into the political arena as a corporation like Disney, mm-hmm. right? You're going to piss off half the country no matter what you do. So now you've got people that are that are on the green side that are upset. They're pulling out, 
and you've got some on the uh, what do I, how do I put this that are not so that that want to see it come to fruition first, and that are saying you can't just sell all these all these all these energy companies. What are you going to do? So in any event, now you've got a couple other big ones that are all looking at at, at pulling out. The Vanguard's the biggest one in the world if they pull out. So it says. Um, that coincided with reports J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley are also mulling over uh, the uh, defection requirement uh, to phase out of uh, fossil fuels, including coal. Oh. See, they, they just know that they can't do it, and they're going to look really stupid if they do do it, and then we hit a brick wall and we don't have enough energy and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. By the way, all these articles are up on the show notes yes. for you guys to read. If right you want the like button. It, it, yeah. On the like button, and you can look at that now. So this is really the two articles that I really wanted to kind of go over. And um, Tim used to tease me, say I used to have a man crush on Goonlock. Not true at all. Although he does play a mean guitar. He used to be in a rock band before he became the Bond King. He really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, he was like a party. He'll tell you, he was a punk guy. You know the name he, of the band? I don't know, but uh, yeah, that'd be I'd a good that. one to look up. To oh, there's a picture of him. It's wild. It's when he had hair. <laughs> but he it, seriously oh he's bald now he's not, is he completely bald? not completely he's got I, a little yeah, on the he's side got a little something going on. he's yeah. got he's pretty light on top man he's got very little hair on top he's uh he's, i think that's a magic marker don kind of painted <laughs> blonde a little, a little just for men maybe. <laughs> he's got like four hairs on the top of his head <laughs> that's all right he's like charlie brown anyway like Homer Simpson. Uh, uh, he's <laughs> he's he's, he's he, but he's actually a funny guy he's actually very funny i'm sure i like him more than any of the guys they interview on wall street because he's just not See, full of himself. There's your man crush. There it is. Well, yeah, I mean, he's just he's crush. he's just there very he's I'm, just very down to earth. I'm looking at a picture right now. He, he's a very handsome man. He's right? very down to earth, yeah. and he doesn't go along with the he doesn't go with the Wall Street narrative. If they're wrong, he'll say no. I think you're wrong. Okay. I, so you so you think highly of him? I think highly of his economic uh, 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 predictions. Okay. I think he's been very right. All right. He's still a bond trader, right. so you so know. Why, why is he? He's still news? just a bond trader. Yeah, <laughs> so still just a bond trader. <laughs> Actually, all right. So he here here's so he has an article out again. This is posted on the fo- uh, show notes. U.S. recession could be just months away. Mm. Oh, before we do that, I do want to show the shirt that I got for Don. Oh yeah, look Don, at that. This is my Christmas Santa Claus on the palm tree. That was Very nice. lovely. Yeah, that was in Jupiter, Florida. That tree Looks is in good. Jupiter, Florida. So, all right, a little south of Don. Love it. All right, so um, so the U.S. recession could be just months away. You can just Google that. That's the headline of the article. Okay. And he said it could be one to six months away uh, by his economic indicators. He said the bond market expects, the bond market is pricing in, expects the Fed to raise Fed funds to 5%. He's skeptical. He said after one or two more, they're, they're going to say uncle because things are slowing down considerably. Okay. Uh, that was he, my headline. It, that was the headline in my video last night. Yep. 5%. Yep. Mm. He probably watched your video, Don. Um, probably. All right. Yeah, all right. Now, um, um, he said that uh, they were pricing the Fed funds to peak at 5.17. Now they're down marginally to 5%. He said one thing is clear. Inflation is coming down. Okay. He's saying by June, uh, the May's consumer price center results announced in June, they will be to 4.5%. Oh. So he's thinking inflation is going to be almost cut in half. He said they'll come, inflation will come down exactly as fast as it came up. And he said, but he thinks it's implausible to expect that it stays at 2.5%. Remember, the Fed is shooting for 25 or 2% inflation rate. Yeah. He said if, he gets, if we get there, it's going to continue going lower. That's the problem. Mm. He said markets and economists, it would seem, share an almost magical faith in the Fed. I'm completely on board with him on this. <laughs> Fed just, almost yeah. magical. If, <laughs> if, and this is a big if, the Fed succeeds and inflation goes to 3% next year, it won't stop there. If it goes to 2%, then it will go below that. Under this scenario, price increases may even turn negative, meaning deflation. We could enter a brief period of deflation. By the way, when you have really high inflation, you will get waves of inflation deflation. Mm. Uh, people don't, don't know that. Um, um, and he said, however, he's far more confident inflation will fall to around 4.5% by mid-2023. 
He said nothing is happening in commodities right now, meaning he's saying that commodities would be heating up if inflation was going to continue coming. I mean, if, um, um, if we thought inflation was going to remain high. So he said 12 to 28 months ago, many of them were soaring, emerging from the pandemic. That's very important because commodities were leading, not lagging. They actually had a meteoric rise before the inflation number, as the inflation numbers were coming out, not after. Then once the inflation numbers came out, guess what? The commodities crashed. Right. So it was after the, that's why technicals are a great leading indicator. That's very important. All right. The savings rate after soaring in 2020 collapsed, implying it's going, there's going to be weaker consumption. Credit card debt continues to climb and consumers are being forced to use plastic to pay for food and gas. So he talks about other uh, flashing indicators, um, a chain, you know, bottleneck supply chain stuff. Um, he said another recession indicator to employment measures uh, the, uh, occurs when the unemployment rate crosses above its 12-month moving average. Okay, now, he said uh, pre-pandemic uh, home, the price of a mortgage payment for uh, pre-COVID was 17% of your disposable income. Now it's 33%. So thir- in other words, homes is almost twice, it's twice as much now. Yeah. Your mortgage payment is twice as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Housing inventories are sitting at a nine-month high. So actually the sales process is slowing down. That's consistent with the recession. So he said even, at, now here's the surprise, even if mortgage rates fall 200 basis points or 2%, they're not going to be refinancing. They're not going to be refinanced. That's one thing making mortgage-backed securities attractive now since prepayments um, is one of the biggest risks they have. I want to explain that real quick, folks. When you buy a mortgage bond, a, a pool of mortgages, Jenny May or Freddie Mac, you get a 30-year mortgage pool, right? But people refinance, they die, they get paid back. You, you, know, you, you pay off if you move. And so the average, so even though it's a 30-year pool of mortgages, the average life of that pool is really maybe seven, eight, nine years, depending on the interest rate. If rates drop, that average life may go from nine years down to three years. And if they go down enough, you may get all your money back and everybody refinances. You get your money back and now you have reinvestment risk. You have to reinvest that money at lower rates. So what he's saying right now is because these mortgage bonds have gotten down, have gone down in value because interest rates rose. He's saying when interest rates, when they're, they're starting to peak now, you could lock in those slightly higher rates and not have to worry about getting your reinvestment, your money back too early. Mm. That's what he's saying. I'm not sure it's just quite there yet. I think we might have a little bit more now. So that's his article explaining the recession. Here are his uh, 10 economic predictions for 2023. Inflation will keep falling. We went over that. It could even fall too far. The Fed funds rate is unlikely to reach 5%. He's one of the few that is claiming that. He was also one of the few that was claiming uh, the Fed would aggressively start raising rates before everybody else did. Mm. Um, bonds could be stronger next year. Well, that's not a genius prediction. Of course, he's also a bond guy, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. But I agree with him. They could, well, they'll be stronger than last. Hell, last year they're down 20. This year they're down 25%, mm. depending on which one, 15 to 30%. So, yeah, I think they'll be stronger next year. Consumers are in trouble. He said it's a lousy time to buy real estate, but a good time to invest. So he's talking about for the income. Okay. okay. I'm not quite sure I agree with all of that stuff, but I agree with a lot of his stuff. And I like the fact that he's talking about forward-looking. He does look forward. But a lot of these things that occur, they'll occur. You'll start seeing it price before you actually see the markets um, play out. Now, we got a huge, massive rally last Wednesday because the Fed blinked and said, you know what, we may be a little bit less aggressive. You know, we start to, we may just go one more time at 75 basis points and then we're going to revisit next year and we're going to look and see if we got to continue raising. But uh, we're going to, we may, we may, I mean, kind of implied that they kind of hinted that they might pause. So you had a massive rally on Wednesday. And then the market sold off the, all the rest of the days uh, until today. And that, the CPI came out Friday, or I'm sorry, the jobs number came out Friday 
and said jobs were stronger. Now, you can look at the numbers, and I don't want to get into a political debate about how they, you know, massage the numbers. But that really put a, put a damper in the market. But the market had started to strengthen, and it started looking like it was going to become stronger. And then all of a sudden, it started rolling over a little bit. So we're at a key level. This is not, it, folks, this is not the COVID bear market where the Fed came in and said, I'm going to spend $4 trillion of money, and I'm buying everything. I'm putting a bottom in this. Mm-hmm. They're being, they're saying, eh, we're going to, yeah, they're kind of being wishy-washy. They are not saying they're stopping rates yet, and they're not saying they're going to stimulate. And so it's very, they're giving mixed signals. And it's almost like they're trying to manage the market a little bit. They don't want the market to go up, race up, because then you'll get inflation with stocks. People will start selling stocks to buy stuff. They don't, they don't want the market to get too frothy, but they also don't want to crash. So it's almost like they're, they're coming out every couple, three days and saying different stuff, contradictory stuff. I personally think that's with intent. whole point is, if it becomes apparent, if it becomes apparent, that inflation is becoming under control and the economy is slowing and we are going into recession. Most people would say, well, if we're going into recession, stocks are going to sell off. That's bad, right? Stocks have already sold off. Stocks have already priced in inflation. Stocks have already priced in recession. Now, it could price in more if it thinks it's getting worse and worse. All I'm saying is when the data starts coming out that inflation is declining pretty quickly and that the economy is slowing so the Fed has an excuse to stop raising rates, that's when you'll see a rally, even if we're still in recession or still going into recession. It won't matter. So the market will lead the, quote, recovery. When we get a recovery, the market's already going to be up 20 30%. That's why you need to have a plan. That's why you need to know what, what, what you're going to do, and you need to know it in advance because when it happens, it happens pretty quickly, that first move. So anyway, with that backdrop, well, first, I guess, with that backdrop, I want to see if Don's got any comments, yeah. and then we're going to go to uh, Michael and Ted for the two sectors that you probably want to avoid right now because the risk is too high. Ooh, right. So, Don, what do, you, what do you got on the comments on that? I know that was a... I just teed you up, but well, I like uh, I, I like the good lock, uh, the Gunlock, also known as Gunlock comment, because that's the first time anybody with uh, any skin in the game who's let's say he's I, I can you say he's he's not biased? I don't know. He's a Bond guy, but he's well respected in the industry, and it's the first time I had heard somebody give any bit of good news relative to interest rates. So I was kind of pleased to hear that yesterday. Uh, as far as the non-traded REITs go, we've been railing against non-traded REITs for years on this show. And every once in a while, it rears its ugly head. And if you can get out, you should have gotten out. But the fact that the biggest, one of the biggest issuers in the country is freezing redemptions is absolutely not a good sign for uh, the industry as a whole. And as far as ESG G goes, uh, I've always said the G stands for garbage, and I hope Larry <laughs> Fink. Uh, I'm extremely happy to see the state of Florida divest from uh, Larry Fink. The the statement was, if you want to uh, change the world, go ahead and run for office, but don't be playing with um, our funds to go on your little escapade of what you think should be should be right is right or wrong in the world so uh i don't like the guy i don't at all and um uh esg has just been a big uh smoke screen to pass an agenda and people are waking up to that agenda yeah well so go ahead that's it those are my comments on your uh on your uh, introduction there daniel Okay, well, so then we're going to come back after we talk to Ted and Mike because I want to talk about specifically how that applies to the markets heading into the holidays and especially early next year. So he actually thinks stock, he's one of the few people coming out. Well, I, we've said that it probably is a nice setup for um, uh, seasonality. In other words, the best 12 months historically 
of the stock market with any pretty fairly constant is actually the 12 months following the midterms. And when it's a house divided, in other words, it's not all Republicans or it's not all Democrats, but they're divided. It actually is a little bit better because they can't get anything done. Mm. Right. But anyway, I want to get back to that later because he's actually one of the few guys out there saying, look, I think stocks are going to rally. Even though he thinks we're going into recession, he's saying stocks will rally. All, most of these other people, especially these Wall Street titans, they're coming out and saying, you know, it, it, we're going into recession, but they're not saying buying. They're saying def- defense. Right. So in any event, um, all right, let's go with Michael first. Michael, what sector do you think uh, is too risky to uh, invest in at the current moment? Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely highlight the current moment aspect of it because um, I'm going to talk about energy and energy has been the market leader um, all year. And I still think it's a good investment long term. Um, it's just where it is in the cycle. If you're buying into strength, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that. But um, it ties into the, um, the, what we've been talking about in, in ESG and net zero. And um, I think the word you were looking for, Dan, before was when you were saying there's the, uh, like the green side of the argument and you're thinking of what the other side is. I would say it's the practical side because it, oh, there uh, you go. <laughs> hey, that that's that that that's what it comes down to: uh, practicality versus um, uh, hopes and dreams. And right. um, so, an an analogous period to to what we've um, sort of experienced um, that that I've been able to find in in research is um, sort of the 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 early nineteen seventies. And um, what was interesting there about oil equities is that. Even though oil prices tripled uh, from 1973 to 74, energy equities weren't immune to the bear market, um, to the 73-74 um, bear market and recession. So even if you're at the start, which a lot of experts, I'm not an expert, but I, I am in the camp that we are at the start of a structural bull market, um, energy equities can experience significant downturns and recessions. And where we're at now in the market cycle is... Um, they like pretty much I, I think for the first time um almost in history really maybe it's happened once before analysts are are like almost 100 percent in agreement that um we will experience a recession in 2023 and if we're going into recession um even if there, there's this structural bull market for oil and energy um prices will continue higher in the interim um you you don't want to be long oil and and energy equities um, going into recession. So in the 1970s, um, energy equities really started to perform toward the end of the decade once investors were convinced and confident that elevated oil prices were sustainable and oil and gas um, demand are directly related to GDP. So unless you believe in this um, that that ESG and um, green energy is going to totally um, replace fossil fuels in in the next few years um and the energy transition is is imminent then it, it'll likely uh, remain that way where where oil and gas um, and energy traditional energy sources are directly correlated to gdp so um as we all know a recession is um negative gdp growth so you you'll see if if it's tied to gdp that um that oil and gas demand um will come down a bit in a recession. And um, just looking at where we are in the cycle, energy is currently 5.5% market cap weighting of the S&P, and earnings for 2023 are expected to come in over 10% of S&P earnings. So from a market cap perspective, it's um, it's still, the the market is significantly underweight um, energy, and it'll, it'll just take some time for prices to stay elevated and for us to come out of a recession and for that to be priced in for investors and um and and yeah just um the investors as a whole to be convinced that um energy equities are in this new um bull market and um and yeah it's it's sustainable um so just looking in terms of um a comparison chart on marketsmith if we pull up like xle to to spy um, in the last year, you can you can see there the um, significant outperformance, and um, 
where where it gets dangerous, and then this is why um what we're saying you you want to avoid it momentarily is um because coming off from from those highs um XLE at ninety five you can experience significant drawdowns if you're trying to buy into strength. Um, you can see here in early November, we tried to break out from the previous June high, but we've pulled back um, sharply since then. So it's more, it's a kind of thing that you wanna buy into weakness. And if you look at the chart as well, um, going back 18 months, if you just pull up um, XLE and it's also on XOP, um, XLE and XOP, I, I personally believe are better ways to play energy and oil and gas if you, if you want to get into it, because um, there, there's so many, so many idiosyncrasies and, and certain things about companies that are so specific that unless you're you're really an expert in the field, um, just in terms of like product productivity of, of wells and and their reserves and the quality of reserves and all of these things that that it, it's just very difficult to to figure out. So it's a lot easier to do XLE. Um, if you go back 18 months, every time XLE and XOP have broken the uh, 200 day moving average. They reclaimed it uh, shortly after. And um, that's been a good uh, tactical entry. So um, on the daily chart, you can see, yeah, every time um, XLE has broken that 200 day moving average, that's the spot where you wanna buy it. So you don't wanna buy it when it's trying to break out of a cup at 95, you wanna wait for it to pull back. And if you do believe in the uh, long-term, um, yeah, um, structural bull market in oil and gas then um then that would be your entry and then something else interesting is um like if if you look at um we can't see it on marketsmith but you can pull this chart up if you search for it on google um you can see the market capitalization of um exxon versus investor favorites um such as apple microsoft google amazon tesla meta netflix um going back to 2011 um, seeing where we're at now, Exxon has actually overtaken Meta and Netflix in terms of market cap, and it's on its way to overtake um, Tesla. So, um, yeah, Exxon is is um, gaining market share by the day, um, and and is is likely to um, overtake these these uh, Fang favorites. So, um, so so yeah, short term, you don't want to buy strength. Um, wait for it to pull back, buy into weakness, and um, and yeah, th those are sort of my thoughts and where we're at. All right. Well, I I, I, I go ahead. I got, let me. Can I add a comment on that? Uh, sure. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and all of their brilliance kicked Exxon out uh, of the Dow 30 and replaced it with Salesforce.com. And Exxon is just absolutely crushing it since then. And uh, over the last year, uh, XLE up 46%, CRM down 51%. Oh, so you lost half your money in Salesforce. Where, where, where would the Dow, where would the Dow be if uh, they'd have left Exxon in there and didn't didn't mess with things? So here I got Exxon up 68% over the last year, CRM down 51%, and the Dow's a price weighted index, so. Um, Exxon would have a CRM yeah. is down and, uh, CR and CRM is, as, is as priced as high as it was. I should say it's a greater loss in Dow points exponentially. Um, it magnifies the it effect. Was, I mean, it was a, yeah, it was a $250 stock Exxon now when it was kicked out, uh, was about a $50 stock. So, yeah. So folks, let me explain not, that. Not, not the yeah. best move. Yeah, so let me let me explain that real quick. So the Dow 30 is actually 30 stocks that are what Don's talking about is price weighted. What that means is it's the price that the the price appreciation depreciation for each stock. So it's not one third each stock has one thirtieth of a magnitude, right? It's whatever the price is. So if I've got a two hundred dollar stock and there's a hundred dollar stock. If that $200 stock is up 1%, it has twice as much impact as a $100 stock that's up 1%. Even though they're both up 1%, because this one stock is twice as much, and if you got a $300 stock versus a $100 stock, now it's three, it's three times as much. 
That's why there's not really any consistency. So, and by the way, so the S and P is 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 market cap weighted, the size, how many billions it is. So you got Exxon, Apple, you know, uh, Tesla. You got a couple big, big mega weights that really control the S and P as well. So uh, you know, you take the top twenty stocks in the S and P or, or fifteen, and they really drive the S and P. Anyway, all right. So now we're going to go to Ted. So that's the the oils, and and Michael's not saying oils are are weak and should be discarded for all time. He's just saying right now, right now they're weak. Wait for your pitch. Wait for a pullback. Wait for your price to come to you. Don't just get in to get in. All right, Ted. What do you what 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 sector are you looking at? So I will be discussing uh, the t- the price action of financials, which led the most recent rally up. And now it's showing significant relative weakness. So the first chart I want to take a look at is the financials chart XLF. And leading the market up, its price made higher highs with the relative strength line. But as it approached 200 day, that's when the divergence began. The stochastics started making higher, uh, lower highs as well as the relative strength line. And as of recently, we've broken the 8 EMA and the 21 exponential moving average. And we're currently sitting above a 200 day. However, I wanted to specifically highlight banks, so KBE, and that's definitely showed even more weakness within the financial sector, which has definitely dragged down the S&P 500 as of late because of its 11.6% weighting. Um, and so this is below all key moving averages. There's a wall of red in the most recent volume action. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just been really weak as of late. Um, one of the bigger banks, JP Morgan, JPM, as well as Goldman Sachs, all broken down below shorter term moving averages. Um, but we still are above a rising 50 day. So we'll just have to see where this finds support and if we find support. But in the shorter term, they've been very weak. Um, another one is Bank of America, BAC. And in this stock, it, it just almost completely collapsed. There's massive distribution in the in the recent days. Relative strength line is making lower lows, lower highs, and it just banks just seem like we are trending down. And Don has mentioned this in the daily market updates. We're also short banks as well. All right, yeah, we're short. Uh, we're short financials. Uh, the the bank ETF, the short bank ETF BNKD is just uh, on the illiquid side. Uh, it only trades 71,000 shares a day. We're in FAZ, which is inverse financials. Um, and you can see it trending higher, showing big relative strength, while X, XLF uh, and KBE have just... Something changed on Monday with these. That was, uh, And it's most noticeable on the Bank of America chart with those two massive days of distribution. This is not typical for a large bank like this. Uh, one, uh, two big selling days, just breaking all moving averages, uh, terrible relative strength over the last three weeks in these. So at first it was masked because, you know, it was holding up above uh, the chart okay on the 21, but uh, things changed on Monday. And um, that was, that seemed to be uh, after people digested the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, comments, uh, a Jay Powell speech and press conference, and then uh, over the weekend decided a very clear distribution. And as Ted said, KBE and KRE, KRE is regional banks. Uh, it's very clear on there also Monday, the big red bar down, down 5% while the market was down 2%. But financials don't usually lose two, uh, lose two and a half times what the market loses if anything their bait is uh in line or a little bit less than the market so very yeah. out of character uh for the action and the relative strength line buy yep yep nope it it's very and, and what you're saying is that the big bank of america sell-off on monday actually happened after all the bad news was out and after you kind of had a sell-off so it was something in addition to powell's fed comments and the market the the big money, the big institutional money, because look, it's not mom and pop. It's not retail investors that can make banks go down 
That's institutional selling. That's big, big hedge funds, uh, uh, pension funds, mutual funds, institutional selling. And you got to take notice of that. Doesn't mean it can't turn around. It just means it's very dangerous right now. So, okay. So the bottom line, folks, right now, oils, we're waiting for a pullback and we're looking for better entries. And right now, the financials, you just got to stay clear of them. Those charts got to be fixed. It's going to take a little bit of a little bit of repair time to get those charts and make them look better. All right, let's dive right down deep into the markets and let's talk about what you're seeing right now in real time, Don, and what you're going to be doing setting up. Oh, by the way, real quick, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. We're recording this on Thursday. This is actually third. We have a. I actually have to go to a funeral um, out of town on on Friday. Uh, but also we had some other commitments. We had some other conflicts. So we're we're doing this early. It is about one o'clock central time right now on Thursday. Uh, so w this is not Friday. I just want to let everybody know that. Go ahead, Don. Of course. So a couple of key areas uh, we've been funding this week. And uh, let's step back on a 60-minute chart. Here's the S&P 500 last week. Pretty easy to see where Jay Powell's speech was released on here, two o'clock on 1130. And the market just took off to the upside, moving from 3090 all the way up to 4100 uh, by the open of the next day. And then we pulled back uh, and worked our way higher. Normal pullback at that point. Then the next day we gapped down. This was on the jobs report. And people were like, oh, man, that. Um, bad jobs number that doesn't keep with the Fed pivot. Uh, but all we did is trend higher all day long. And everybody's like, eh, you know. And, and when I say everybody, myself included, and a lot of the traders and people in uh, financial I keep in touch with, we saw this as a very positive day. However, the next day, Monday, so the weekend passes, next day we gap down and we just trend lower all day and just follow it up to the, uh, the next day, all the way trending lower. Breaking below that 39.50 level, which is where we were when Powell started his press conference. So one day up, actually, I should say two hours up and then uh, four days to give back those two hours up. But we've been talking a while about these couple of key support areas, 3900 to 3920 and 3950 to 3960. Uh, so we broke 3950 on Tuesday. We tried to rally up into it on Wednesday and the high was 39.56 and then we pulled back. So, so far that resistance had flipped to support, but now today we're back above 39.50 and there have been several attempts to break back below 39.50, but look where the lows are intraday, 39.52, 39.53. And then we broke back above 39.50, 39.60. Now, why is 39.60 critical? Because 39.60 is where the 21 day exponential moving average is. 39.59 actually, uh, but a regain of there uh, and a regain of 39.50, two critical areas that were support, flipped to resistance over the last couple of days, and now we reclaim them. So that makes the last two days a failed breakdown. And I realize this is very short-term thinking, but uh, short-term can very often turn into longer term and it's the beginning of trends and failed breakdowns uh, is one of the best ways for the market to suck people in on the short side before blasting it off to the upside. Just like failed breakouts, which is what you had uh, here, a breakout above the 200-day moving average last week sucked a lot of people in uh, and then reversed. It took two days to reverse it, and now we're back below the 200-day moving average. So the key to look for are uh, 39.50, 39.60 as a support level. And then on the top, 4,000, that's the round level. And then if we get through there, uh, 40.39, and this is dropping, the 200-day moving average is really flattening out. It's only dropping one to two points a day now. But 40.40 is the next level that the bulls want to get above. We've got a PPI report Friday morning. That's producer price index. That doesn't seem to move the market as much as CPI, because that's what the consumer is uh, paying. The producer's may or may not pass inflation onto the consumers, but whether or not the consumers want to pay the price uh, is a different story. Uh, CPI is Tuesday, and then the FOMC, where they're expected to cut uh, 50 basis points, 
is on Wednesday. So expect serious volatility uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll be hanging around, uh, if we're around this 21-day moving average, our uh, exposure to the market will be kind of in line with the S&P 500. So about a zero, uh, or sorry, clearly more in line with a 60-40 um, portfolio. So 60% uh stocks and 40 percent cash and bonds that's about the exposure that we'll have going into next week's uh key uh key data that comes out on tuesday and then the fed on wednesday but you'll be ready to add if it if it's if their comments are bullish or the numbers are bullish, ready to add or, or ready, ready to hedge to, ready yeah. to sell yeah right, yep. right. okay just, All right, just well, like we go over every morning uh, and, on our call Plan either way. And, and I would say this, Don, I agree with you that PPI normally doesn't move the market very much, but everybody is so hyper-focused on inflation right now that if, if, if the PPI came in kind of neutral or even a little bit higher than expected, I don't think that really has an impact on the market too much. But if it comes out lower, if it shows that the PPI came out lower than expectations, I think you could actually it could spark a little rally. I think you can see a rally because of that. Just because they're the, the investors right now, everything is about inflation and interest rates. And that's what everybody's really keyed on. So Dan, that, let me ask you to put your economist hat on for a second and let me ask you a question. What do you think the weakness in, in banks is saying about uh the economy next year? Uh recession. I mean, that's to take one word. So here's the thing. Demand is being, we talked about this on, folks, we actually have three calls a day, three or four, three calls a day. We have a pre-market call uh, uh, about an hour before the market opens. All of us are on the call giving ideas as well as our uh, consultant, Alex, and, and we're talking about ideas, what we're looking at. You know, everybody's got to give their view on the markets and everybody's got to give their two best setups at the moment. And we kind of look at them. We do one, Don does one with the guys. Uh, heading in before lunch, before the New York traders and Wall Street kind of go to lunch. And then we do one about an hour before the market close. And then you do another one post wrap up, post market, Don? We haven't been, but if there's anything critical, we are yeah. we're texting constantly yeah. during the day. Yeah. Okay. So, so those, those, you know, that, that keeps everything, um, um, kind of lost my train of thought now. What were we talking about? Uh, bank weakness. Oh, bank weakness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but we were talking about on this call a couple days ago. So there are lenders. I'll just use one that people are very familiar with. There's a lender called Cabbage. It's like American Express. Cabbage is for, is for small business lending. So basically someone can take their American Express, their credit, and they can say, look, I'm, I want to borrow money for my company. And depending on your credit quality, they'll give you a short-term loan, like a one-year loan, right? Mm -hmm. Or it could be two-year, 18 months or whatever. But the rates for the one year, and I've got clients that do this occasionally, and I get on their kind of marketing email list to kind of tease, you know, uh, lending, whatever. And their rates, depending on your credit quality, were between 4.75 and 17% for lower quality, right? I just got an email a couple, three, three days ago that says starting, and basically they're saying, look, if you're going to borrow money, you need to hurry up and do it this month because starting next month, our rates are changing. And it's going to be between, it was either 9.5 or 9.75, 9.5 to 17.5%. So the higher level, the higher rates are still there the same, but the investment grade, the real safe lending money to people with really good credit quality just doubled. Your interest expense is going up. Your credit card interest expense is going up. If you have a bank, if you need to borrow money, your cost goes up. What that means, that means that some deals don't get done. They're not profitable anymore. In other words, when the Fed drops rates real low, money's very cheap. It makes deals easier to do. It actually, what it really does is it makes bad deals get done along with good deals. When rates go up and there's less slush in there, there's less forgiveness, mm -hmm. there's less margin for error, lower quality deals don't get done. So what I'm saying is the raise in interest rates is now really slowing the economy down. And you're going to see loan demand go down significantly. People aren't going to borrow money. People aren't going to try to start a new business. 
People aren't going to be hiring. In fact, we've already heard the banking industry is talking about huge layoffs next year. They're just not doing it right now because they want to do it. They don't want to do it right before Christmas. But just wait. January, the first two weeks in January, these banks are going to announce big layoffs. They just don't want to put people out of money or out of work before the new year. Okay? So they're going to, they're going to announce all that stuff. Now, here's the thing you've got to remember. Don't necessarily think that's bad for stock prices and it's going to go down. When they, they announce these layoffs, that means their costs go down, their weight, their sal, their payroll went down. Stocks, the banks could actually rally from that news, not go down. You can't assume, and Wall Street timing and Main Street timing are different. That's what people don't realize. But to answer your question directly, Don, their earnings are going to go down, their profit margin is going to go down, and their loan demand, which is their business, right? I go buy an iPhone from Apple. I go borrow money from Chase, right? I'm, that's their demand. Well, people aren't borrowing money now. So now their profit margins are getting squeezed and their interest expense, their cost is going up. So that's going to happen all over. Uh, that's going to happen in a lot of different industries. But tech is, is getting a little nervous, but the banking is definitely getting nervous. Mm. So, but that really was kind of the, the, the theme of this show is that, look, they're going to start, you're going to start hearing a little bit more negative news before it gets better. You're going to start hearing layoffs. The R word's going to be thrown around. We're technically we're in a recession right now. I don't care what they call it. If you're talking about the classical definition of recession, two negative quarters of GDP print, which has been the definition for 30 years, 40 years, now they're saying, well, that doesn't necessarily, that's not a hard and fast rule. We got other rules. But, but potato, potato, I don't care whether we started a recession right. last month or we go into it in January. Point being is they're going to start talking about it more and more. And there's going to be a disconnect with investors that don't understand it. Because while the narrative says we're getting crappier and our economy's getting worse, that's a technical word, by the way, so yeah. crappier, um, you could actually see the market rally strong. And people don't get that. Just like the market started selling off before we got the high inflation numbers. So that's why the leading indicators are so important. That's why we always say price is truth. All right, guys, we're about to wrap it up for this show. You guys got any tidbits you want to throw in there before we go or no? Everybody good? I think so. All right. Covered it all. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Uh, just have them go to revereasset.com. They can go to the right-hand corner, and there's a subscribe button. They can hit subscribe. They can just put in their email and their name. I don't even reach out to them. We don't send them a well. We don't, we don't spam them or, or try to market to them in any way. It's up to them to reach out to us and tell us they want a complimentary portfolio review or have a question about a stock or just want a topic they want discussed on this show. Okay? But you can email any of us with questions, dan at revereasset.com. Don at revereasset.com, Tim or Michael at revereasset.com. Tim. Yeah, Michael. Michael. I'm sorry. Michael and Ted. Ted. No, Ted. 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 That was a Freudian slip. That was last year. Anyway. Anyway. And you can always call us old school at 855 Real Wealth. Folks, please stay safe during these holiday season. It's fun to have libations and have a good time, but, but be careful or take an Uber. And we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.